What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Welcome to the News Podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Red Nation Noobs on Twitter. Here, joined by Forrest Walker at Do Not on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm pretty good. Yeah, so let's start with some news. James Harden and James Ennis have returned from their respective hamstring injuries. Uh, they returned over the weekend. Ennis returned on Friday. Harden returned on Saturday. So this is huge. The Rockets are finally at 80% full health. <laughs> Nene and Brandon Knight are still out. But Danae is going to be reevaluated re- in two or three weeks. And from any, everything you hear, Brandon Knight's recovery has gone well. And he's eyeing a return to the court sooner rather than later. Regardless of those two, I think the most important thing to get out of that is that Houston's most important seven to eight guys are back and they're healthy. That will surely help in their efforts to turn this season around. Yeah, uh, and also at some point, if Eric Gordon could become good again and also return from his leg soreness, that would be nice. Right, right. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of things have plagued this team this early this season, uh, whether it's defensive discipline, terrible rebounding, miscommunications on switches, and a general apathy, as you've described a lot uh, early on this season. But I think if you were to point to one single thing that's hurt this team the most... I'd say it's their early season health because not only are you without two starters, one of which is the reigning MVP and the fulcrum of your offense, but you have to rely on negative impact players like Michael Carter-Williams and Carmel Anthony to play a heavy amount of minutes in roles that they shouldn't be playing. It's a, And it's really a double-edged sword. Uh. Yeah, it's it's not been good. Uh, in my opinion, both the edges have been facing inward. Right. Yeah, Mello, Mello has been playing lots of three, which he is not suited for at all. I don't know that Mello's super suited for anything, but uh, he certainly looks like he's doing a lot better when he's playing against bigger, slower players. Right, and getting Michael Carter-Williams out of the lineup is a huge, huge positive. Like, like as soon as... James Harden came back, and as soon as James Ennis came back, and they've integrated Gary Clark in lately, as of late, um, as soon as they found more guys to play, MCW's role is slowly diminished over time. He just hurts the Rockets' offense so much. Like, the spacing with and without MCW is so drastic. It's like, 
it's not even the same basketball team. Like teams sag off of MCW so much to the point where you're playing with an extra defender out there to defend these four other Rockets, and it's it doesn't keep defenses honest. And it, it's just it's just he's not a good enough defensive player to keep him out on the floor, and he's not moving too, which I've talked about a lot. It's it's a little bit frustrating because if he's not moving, he is literally providing nothing on offense, right? Yeah, it's been grim. After he looked pretty serviceable during the during preseason, that all went right out the window, uh, and he does not look serviceable at all, which is too bad. But uh, it's better to remedy that early than just sink a lot of time into trying to get Michael Carter Williams to be a useful player for them, which many teams have done and all have failed at. Yeah. So aside from the injuries, let's talk about what's been going on on the court for this basketball team. So I wrote last week that the Rockets need to get back to being a competent basketball team again before they even think about contention, because at that point they were one in five, had the league's worst net rating, and looked utterly hopeless on both sides of the basketball. They were one of the league's worst offenses and one of the league's worst defenses. Um, Houston has gone two and one since I wrote that column. They've won. They're road back-to-back by a margin of 8.4 points per 100 possessions, which, here's a stat for you. Do you know the last time the Rockets did that for us? I do not know the last time I did that. Tell me. The entire 2017-18 season. That was their net rating <laughs> last year. So they've yeah. literally equated last year's Rockets these past two games. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that last year they didn't play exclusively the Nets and Bulls, but yes. Sure. And, and I want to caution every Rockets fan who thinks that they're back to last year's ways or that their early season struggles have just disappeared because they did this against two lottery teams. The Chicago Bulls are a lottery team. The Brooklyn Nets, as much as I like general manager Sean Marks, as much as I like head coach, Kenny Atkinson, as much as I like Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Spencer Dimwitty, and DeMar Carroll, they're still, they're still a bad basketball team. They're scrappy, but they're a bad basketball team. They were good enough to beat the Sixers by 25 points, but yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the Rockets are still 3-5 and five with the league's 23rd net rating. They haven't proven anything. The only thing they've proved this weekend is they're not, they're not a lottery team. Hey, they went up seven spots in net rating in like three games, so right. that's good. I mean, it yeah, it's this is good. This is positive momentum. Uh, they look much better. So, all right, during during that Nets game, the first half was not great. Uh, while I was watching that, I was thinking, oh no, more the same. And then it was right around when Chris Paul did his now infamous uh, players only huddle that it just looked like they turned it around quite a bit. Uh, it looked like they turned the corner whatever for whatever reason. Maybe it was because Chris Paul started yelling at them. I don't know. But they, they seemed to, to be more coherent on defense. Uh, the offense wasn't necessarily that much better, but it was fine. Uh, and then the entire Bulls game looked fine. They looked, they looked not amazing, but they looked reasonably fine during those games. Uh, it wasn't just like a horrible, stressful slog to watch them trudge their way through those games. They played them in a way that you might expect they would, which was a market improvement. It really does. We'll have to see how it plays out as time goes on, but this was just what they needed. Uh, this, this is the best you can hope for at this moment. Right. It was a step in the right direction is what I would say. As of right now, they're still the 13th seed in the Western Conference, so they still have to dig their way out of the giant that they made for themselves. While this weekend was encouraging, 
It's important to note these things and understand that there's a long way back towards forget title contention. They need to get back to playoff contention. Like they're they're the thirteenth seed right now. They're five seeds behind the playoffs. Like they have a lot of work to do to get back. To, like these early games matter. Like they do. Not only statistically, like we've talked about before, but the Western Conference. If you lose some of these early games, man, it's hard to dig yourself out because every team is good and every team wants to wants to make the playoffs. And like, there's only eight teams. There's only eight spots. And once you get down to the tiebreakers at the end of the season. All this stuff matters. All these games matter. No one game is weighted more than other games in the regular season. All these games matter equally. And so these this hole that they've dug themselves into is significant. It's significant and and it's it's definitely something that they need they need to take a drastic step in the opposite direction of well, I have good news and bad news. Uh, the bad news is that, as you said, every team in the West is good, except for the Suns, basically. Even the Kings are decent. Everyone's decent this year. Uh, the good news, though, is that everyone's just good. It doesn't look like any of these teams are breaking away from the pack, except for the Warriors and somehow Nuggets. Right, I was uh, just about so... to say the Nuggets, yeah. <laughs> So uh, if the Rockets can get back to anywhere near their speed last season, they actually, if you know, assuming nothing else changes, which, by the way, it will. But at the moment, uh, it doesn't look like anyone else in the West is showing themselves to be up in that echelon uh, that the Rockets were in last season, except for the Warriors and Nuggets. So if they can get back there, then they will have a very good shot of you know, grabbing a uh, a home court in the first round and possibly second round, and even very unlikely third round as well. Uh, but they have to get back there first, and other teams will probably be getting it together as well. We'll see. Uh, I I we have we have yet to see how teams like the Jazz and the Thunder are going to look as they round into form, or whether or not they will. It just seems like everybody's struggling this NBA season, except for the. Basically, except for the, uh, the the Nuggets and the uh, and the Raptors and the, to some degree the Warriors. Yeah, teams that ended last season with a chip on their shoulder, I feel like they've started this season like tremendous. Like the Denver Nuggets, who missed the playoffs in the last game of the season, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, the Utah Jazz have looked just awful, and the the Thunder have looked very. I would say average, and I, I I think they've played a lot better as of late. But yeah, there is a there is an opening for the Rockets, but they have to like their next stretch of games is tough. It's tough. Like they play the Pacers, the Spurs, and the Jazz. So those that's three playoff teams that presumably it's gonna it's gonna be it, they're they're all they're all gonna be on the road. So it's gonna be. It's going to be tough. It's and you you have to win at least one of those games, if not two, if not two, because again the Rockets have to get back to five hundred. They're still two games under five hundred, and it's it's going to be it's going to be a slog. Um, so some things that went right for Houston, Chris Paul and Clint, and Clint Capella showed that they're still still good basketball players, because for That's a minute good. that's very good. Yeah, because for a minute there they look dead. Uh, Chris Paul looked 45 years old for like two weeks there. Um, and that game against the Nets, you're right. He just dominated, just dom- 32 points, 
11 assists, 7 rebounds, 13 for 27 shooting from the field, 5 of 13 from the three-point line. He was a plus 20. He was just incredible. He looked like Chris Paul again. And part of why he was so good was because he was finding those tiny creaks in the defense for his mid-range jumpers. And what's new about this this season for the Rockets is teams have chosen to stop switching everything and because they know that Chris Paul and James Harden are going to murder them in isolation. They've instead opted to play for a drop-down defensive scheme, which if you don't know what a drop-down defensive scheme is, it's pretty simple. It's basically what the Spurs did to the Rockets in the playoffs two years ago. They dropped their big man back to the rim and protect the rim at all costs and stay home on the three-point shooters. So they're effectively letting the Rockets take these long twos, which they know Houston doesn't want to take. And Chris Paul even talked about this in his post-game scrum. They're daring him to take these mid-range jumpers, as he, and he hasn't shot them. When in reality, he should be taking those long twos, because that's his spot. He's one of the few players in the NBA who's efficient enough from the mid-range to justify taking that shot. So when he's getting that shot consistently, which he's gotten this year, because, again, teams have completely changed the way they defended the Rockets, he's got to shoot them. It's impossible to stop him when he is taking them. Yeah, uh, he he fleshes out their offense in a way that we were aware of but have come to appreciate on a visceral level quite a bit more. And once he started being able to hit shots, I mean, the first the first few games of the season, he just couldn't hit anything. Uh, and it was really frustrating because that's that was really the only thing, right? He was playing well. He just was missing every shot. And uh, Eric Gordon was doing that as well, so... Uh, and those are those are problems that you don't know what to do with except just to shrug. Like, there isn't really anything you can do with it. So, thankfully, Chris Paul began hitting his shots again, and everything changed. Right. And also, Clint Capello, like, for a long time, he looked like a, a center that got paid and just stopped playing <laughs> with the chip on his shoulder. Uh, and these past two games, he's really shown up. Uh, 17 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game, 2 blocks per game, 58.5% true shooting. He looks assertive again. He looks fresh. He looks healthy, which um, for a while there, like the, there was some, there was some speculation, you know, about his health. I, he just didn't look like the same basketball player, uh, especially inside the paint. He just didn't look assertive at all. He's playing a lot of minutes, 36.3 points, uh, 36.3 minutes per game these past two games and 33 and a half minutes per game for the season, which is a career high for him. But the Rockets really need him to play heavy minutes right now with Nene out. By the way, you guys know I'm a huge fan of Isaiah Hardenstein. I've raved about him in Summer League on this podcast. I love his hustle. I love the, that he opted to play in the G League instead of going overseas last year. But he's just not good enough to play Houston switching scheme on defense yet. And I'm not going to write him off yet. But I will say for Clint, we know we knew... He was a special switch defender early on in his career. And so far, we haven't seen that from Isaiah. But yeah, the Rockets need Clint to play a lot of minutes. And that's been a problem for him in the past. And he's got to step up until Nene returns. He also might care to remove that streak in his hair. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't don't know why he's pulling off this Dennis Schroeder-esque thing in his streak in his hair. It's It's just weird. Um yeah, I mean, he's, he, but he's looked good these past two games, which I guess if he's playing that well, it really doesn't matter how his hair looks. Um, Carmelo. Carmelo looks really good in his bench row. I, and I, I know you're not the biggest fan, but as a, in his bench row these past two games, he's averaged 22.5 points per game, 
5.5 rebounds per game, 65.4% from the field, 43.8% from three-point range, 77.4% true <laughs> shooting, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, but also the game before that, he shot like 12% from the field. Uh, but yes, the bench is the place for him. He is shooting the lights out. Uh, I doubt that will continue because there's no way this could continue. But uh, it's a good sign, and hopefully he'll stay somewhere near this. He definitely is a useful player as long as he's going to shoot at anywhere near these values. Right. And he's also a plus five as opposed to the glaring negative he's been since the season started. Um, His defense just lends himself to be so bad to play as a starter. It's not even like it's it's kind of embarrassing how bad he's been defensively to start the season. Like especially as a help defender, he's just miserable down there trying to protect the rim and <laughs> test shots at at the rim. It's just he's playing the forward position, so that's something he has to do. He has to protect the rim on occasion, and he's just so bad at beating guys at just beating guys at the rim to contest their shots. He's just so slow, and when he gets there, he's not He's not putting his chest into guys. Uh, he's, just been, he's just been a little bit soft there, and it, it's just it's just maddening to watch. But, yeah, I mean, in this bench role, you're right. Playing against slower and bigger guys is just perfect for him. Like, like he's, not, he's not a starter anymore, and that's 100% like relevant like because if if you're grading him on a on the curve of he's a starter he's getting a bad grade he's he's, he's getting a d he's getting like a d minus like if he's a if he's your seventh or eighth guy and he's shooting like 38 percent from three which you know that's or 37 percent from three and he's doing all the things that you wanted ryan anderson to do last year that's that's fine. Like this 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 is what I was saying about Carmelo in the preseason, right? This is everything. I'm I'm basically regurgitating everything I said about Carmelo in the preseason. He's got to play that same role and he's got to play that same way for him to be an effective basketball player because the Rockets just need him to fill minutes until they get some reinforcements on the buyout market or until they make a trade, uh, which we can talk about here in a minute. They just need him to fill minutes. And they, they they don't need him to be some super defender. They don't need him to, to do anything other than hit open jumpers. That's it. That's all Carmelo Anthony needs to do. Hit open jumpers and just be semi-competent on defense. He's, he doesn't have to be crazy on defense. He's, only, he's playing a bench role. So he only has to be good enough to where the Rockets can surround him with defenders like James Ennis, like P.J. Tucker, like Chris Paul, like Clint Capella, and he doesn't have to be a negative. That's it. That's all he has to do. He just has to be good enough to where he's not absolutely destroying Houston's defense and good enough to just hit 37 to 38% of your threes. Like, that's not too much. That's not asking too much of him. He doesn't have to shoot 43% from three like he's shooting right now, but he can shoot 37%, and that's more than adequate. Uh, yeah, I, once again, I'm still not convinced he's going to be able to play a single minute against the Warriors, but that's but, uh, that's a right, very far. The Rockets off are right so now. Yeah. yeah, the Rockets yeah, are so far away moment. from the Warriors. Like they need to worry about like teams like the Clippers. Like they got beat by the Clippers twice this season. Like if they're not even beating the Clippers, like they can't. We we're not even talking about the Warriors right now. We need to be talking about yeah. teams like like the freaking Jazz or the Nuggets. Like the the the, the Warriors are so far up, especially the way the Warriors started this season. Like they're just a powerhouse right now. Steph Curry looks like the, the a three time MVP right now. Like he's he looks phenomenal. 
Uh, that Draymond Green looks like he wants to get his second Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, that team just looks ridiculously unstoppable right now, and you're not even in their same hemisphere, much less the same breath. Like you, you can't, you can't worry about the Warriors right now. You have to worry about playing eighty other teams, right? Like, well, and, and hopefully he'll be able to be he'll be playable against those other teams as well. Right. Uh, he has looked playable against the. Uh, against the Nets and the Bulls, we'll see how he goes against some other teams who actually are offensively competent and who will track him down and attack him. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. He's still necessary uh, as just to fill out minutes, just to have someone who can play credible basketball out there. Uh, once Eric Gordon gets back, and then uh, once you have you know Nene and Brandon Knight ready to roll, we'll see how the rotation looks. Or the rotation might change entirely because the roster changes. Yeah. Uh, can we talk Jimmy Butler for a second? And I, I talked about him on the last podcast, but I just found that report so fascinating. I never got a chance to talk to, talk to you about it and how you felt about, about the offer. Um, so as we talked about on, on last week's podcast, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the Rockets are... In their last offer, they put out four first-round picks. We still don't know the protections... And Shums later clarified on that reporting, saying not only was there four first-round draft picks, but the salary filler was Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight. So it wasn't Eric Gordon. It wasn't P.J. Tucker. It was Marquise Chris, Brandon Knight, and four first-round draft picks, which we still don't know the protections for. How did you react to the reporting? Uh, I was surprised about every aspect of it, I think. Uh, it would... I it was it does not seem like Morey to throw in that much of the future for the present though as I think about it I think it makes sense. Uh, also, it's quite the offer to turn down. Um, you pretty rarely get four first round picks in any trade whatsoever. Uh, my, my read on it was that everyone thought this was a bad trade for their team who had an affiliation with either team, so uh, it might be a pretty good trade if everybody hates it. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Uh, the fact that it was immediately rebuffed, and they're saying that that Eric Gordon is mandatory in that trade, makes me suspect that uh, the Wolves don't have a well-run organization. <laughs> I guess is the short wow. short version of it. Forrest <laughs> just dropping the hot takes left and right today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think that he's not going to get traded until they get rid of uh, Thibodeau. Like they, you can't just supersede your president of basketball operations to make trades. If you're the owner, like if you're Glenn Taylor, if you were just go ahead and make the trade without Thibodeau's input, then you fired him already because you're not allowing him to be able to do his job. So I don't see, and it doesn't look like Thibodeau is willing to trade him for anything that anyone's going to trade him for. Right? No one's going to give them anything like players who can fill in his value. That's not a thing. The, the teams that the teams who are willing to give up those players are not close enough to contention that they want this rental. So the only teams who are going to want to do it are ones that think they're excellent and but know that they have the 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 wolves a bit over a bit of a barrel. So they're not going to get what they want. Thibodeau probably doesn't want to trade him whatsoever. So I think nothing's going to move in this situation until Thibodeau gets fired. Very well, it, it, that very well will be the case. I mean. The Wolves are just a hot mess right now. It's just Jimmy Butler's playing like every other game right now because he's quote unquote rest, yeah, rest, re- resting and generally sore. 
Like, which I don't, I, I've never seen that in injury report before. Generally, <laughs> he seems generally sore. sore. That is just, that's creative on another level. I mean, do you remember when Pop used to put in the injury report that, like, where he put old? Like, wasn't that, wasn't that what he put in the injury report one day? Like, for Ginobili, just old? Oh, yeah, DNP old. Yes. Yeah, D- DNP, yeah, DNP general soreness is a new one. Like, it, that's, that's definitely a new one. Um, yeah, I mean, and the reporting suggests from Shams and John Krasinski and everyone who's covering this story really closely is that this is a camp. This is a um, carefully coordinated part on Jimmy's camp to for over the next six weeks uh, up his trade ante. Like he really wants to get the hell out of there. Like he's putting the pressure on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like he wants the hell out. Like he was waving his towel. At a Warriors game in which they were losing by twenty points towards the end of it, did you see that video? Like he was the the, the fans, the fans in the crowd were waving their towels because the Warriors were going on a run, and and, and Jimmy was on the was on the bench with a towel, waving it along with them, with, while the entire Timberwolves bench just looked deflected, and, and and Jimmy was over here smiling and and waving his towel. Like I, this is the craziest situation I've. Like one of the craziest situations I've ever seen in this league. Like it's, it's just, it's. It, I, I don't know what to describe. I can't think of any words because I've never seen a situation like this. Yeah, uh, the land of dysfunction. Look, yeah. the reality is that if yeah, if if you uh, if you let your coach be your GM, you're asking for this. We've gone over it a million times, but it remains as true now as every other time. Yeah, it, it's and. I don't know what kind of offer it's going to take for Scott Layden and, and Tom Thibodeau to finally part ways with Jimmy. But again, I, I'll just repeat what I said on the last podcast. It's got to happen soon because this guy is going to leave your team. He's going. To, he said that already. He's he's expressed his discontent and he wants out of there. He's an he's an unrestricted free agent, so he's gonna get moved this year. And if he doesn't get moved this year, the hour that trade deadline passes, that's the day that Tom Thibodeau should receive his pink slip, because it's just ridiculous. Like you're you're basically giving up on getting anything back from him. And you can't you you can't let it get to that point though. They should remove him immediately. Honestly, by January. Uh, by yes. January. By now, I don't know. Understand how they're letting this keep going. There's obvious and overt dysfunction in that organization. They have a general manager who is like going working at cross purposes of the owner. None of this makes any sense. It's it's gone too far. It's fallen apart. You can't keep letting this fall apart. They should have fired Thibodeau some time ago if they're going to do it. They should at least remove him from his GM duties. I don't understand why they've done this already. It's already too far gone. They can't let him miss the trade deadline. And their their leverage is getting worse with every single day. They can't afford to do any of the things they're doing. This needed to be resolved yesterday. And it needed to be resolved the day before that yesterday. So uh, I think they need to, to get rid of Thibodeau immediately. Uh, I don't think they should let there be a chance of him destroying their future by letting him stay past the trade deadline and therefore losing his entire value. And I don't understand why they would want to make him miserable. I mean, and, and just playing for a team he's only going to play for half the time, they're just asking for us to move to litigation if this goes any further. They, I don't know why anyone's doing anything that they're doing. It's a really stupid idea, and I suspect that to some degree it might be that Thibodeau's headstrong. It also might be that 
that they don't want to trade him to a Western Conference team and have another contender in the West, which would be just that's, delusional. That's I, I that logic. Like I can't like that feels like archaic NBA logic in this, but we're still doing this. Like we can't trade between conferences. Like that's just dumb. Like get the best offer you can out there. Like that should be every, every general manager's calling card. Look for the best offer you can possibly find, regardless of which conference it's in. Because by limiting yourself to one conference, you are limiting the amount of value you can get in return for Jimmy, which is just dumb. You, like, why would you limit yourself to fifteen teams? That, that that's it's 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 really really stupid, and it, it's reprehensible if if that's what the Timberwolves are doing. Like, it, and I I don't think that it's going to get to the point where it's February and Jimmy's still on that team. But the fact that we're here, it's Oct- it's November fourth, and Jimmy Butler is still on the on the Minnesota Timberwolves when he expressed. Literally weeks before the season started, that he wanted out of there, like it's 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 not a great it's not a great look. It is not a great look. And as far as the Rockets and things, I'll, I'll go ahead and shift this into different directions because we, we've railed on about the Timberwolves long enough. What would it take for you to be to say no to a Jimmy Butler trade? Would it be Eric Gordon, like, or would it be like what what to what degree would it be too much? to trade for Jimmy Butler. And do you think that the Rockets' slow start has pushed them to a certain degree of desperation? Uh, maybe. Uh, I think that if they start picking it up whatsoever again, though, that desperation will even out quite a bit. Uh, I think that the leverage that the Wolves have is falling apart. I think if the Rockets start looking decent again, they do have a bit of an edge. Um and they, they can uh, try to push back a little harder. I think at this point, you don't give up Eric Gordon and four draft picks. If, you, if you're giving up Eric Gordon, you're not going to be giving up much else. Like I think that Eric Gordon and B.J. Tucker, that ship has sailed. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I, I think if like they might have been able to get that at some point, but they're not going to anymore. So they're going to have to settle for Eric Gordon, filler, and like a couple of draft picks. Or uh, I think the Rockets are probably going to be pushing very hard for uh, for non-core guys and four draft picks. I think that's the deal they want to make because that gives them the best chance to win right now. If you can keep Eric Gordon on that roster and that engineering Butler, then you might have something. that There is a path from this current Rockets team to legit contention. Not necessarily the most likely path, but it's a very plausible path at that point. Uh, and that's what the, I think that's what they have to do. You have to mortgage your future a bit here, despite the fact that everyone's always allergic to it, as well they usually should be. But right now, if you can do that, you do that. You go hard and you try to win right this minute. And I think that's what gives them the best chance. And I think the the Wolves might just have to resign themselves to the fact that they are going to get a little bit worse this season. Uh, and they are going to have to just plan for the future. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. You can't trade Eric Gordon if you're giving up four first-round picks on top of that. Like, I, I suspect if the Rockets get a deal done... It's not going to be any of the report offer. It's not going to be first uh, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker in a first. It's not going to be uh, Brandon Knight, Marquise Chris, and four first-round draft picks. I feel like it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I suspect it's going to be not four first-round draft picks, maybe one or two, and Eric Gordon by himself. Like I, I don't think – like from everything you hear, I, I really do feel like the Rockets have not put P.J. Tucker on the table. 
Like I, I don't think he's at, he's coming at all. They can't either. Yeah. Like and and if you watch, like you know, I, I railed against this at the beginning of the season before the Rockets, you know, st- stepped foot on the court. But if you watch the Rockets play this season, PJ Tucker is super important. Like he's holding the Rockets defense together by like, scotch tape. Like he's the only guy on that court that is a positive defender right now. I mean, maybe you can point to sometimes Clint Capella or Chris Paul. Like the, the, right now, nobody is a overtly positive defender on the Rockets right now, other than PJ Tucker. James Ennis just came back. And you know it, we've yet to see if he can you know fill that role that uh, that Trevor Reza left behind. You know, like I think he can, but we and it, it hasn't been proven yet. He's missed too many games to tell. And if if the Rockets do intend on making a trade for Jimmy Butler, I don't think PJ Tucker's going to be on the table. Which is, I mean, it's surprising to me that we've gotten to this point that he's so untouchable. But I mean, it, it might be the case. Like it might, it, Houston may see him. As someone you just can't move right now, and like his contract is great, eight million dollars per year for the next three years. Like that's it's a superb contract, and I understand it. But I think if the Rockets were to get a deal done, it's probably going to involve Eric Gordon, and it's probably going to involve probably one or two draft picks, or. I don't suspect they'll get to the three or four area without taking Eric Gordon off the table. Yeah, uh, I think it's the case. I think they're going to do everything they can, though, to try to not give up one of their core rotation players. Uh, And I think, honestly, at this point, they might be able to manage that. Like, I mean, what really matters, what really matters is what uh, other teams are willing to give up for him. Because all you have to do is have the best of the offers, not an actual good offer, (laughs) honestly. So, uh, they just need to do enough to convince the Wolves that they got to do something. And I think right now, if you're if you're the Rockets, you are kind of holding out and seeing how the situation develops. Because, hey, maybe they do uh, go ahead and fire him. They do fire Thibodeau, and then you're dealing with Glenn Taylor, and you can probably get you can probably you know convince Glenn Taylor of things you couldn't convince Thibodeau of. So I don't. And the fact that they're not. <laughs> They look a little better lately. If they can keep that up, then they do buy themselves some time to let this play out and try to get better leverage and to see how good of a deal they can manage. Right. The, this story is it's it's gotten to become a drag uh, as every day has passed. Like in the beginning was very exciting and, and really interesting to see what Miami would put on the table, what Houston would be willing to put on the table. But we've we've gotten to like hour thirty six, and it's just it's it's just too much. It's just too much. Um, I can't wait to, to for it to be over. Whether he stays on the Timberwolves or ends up in Miami or ends up in Houston, whatever. I can't wait for it to be over. I can't wait to stop talking about it. Uh, it it's inter- It's still interesting on some level uh, just to see what kind of offer these teams are willing to put on the table. But it, it's, it's, it's just getting to be a drag. It's just getting to be a drag. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of writing about it. Um, so, so, yeah. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Give us five stars because it really helps people find the show. Follow me on Twitter at Red Nation Noobs. Follow Forrest on Twitter at Do Not. How you spell that, Forrest? D U N O T S. And yeah, guys, good night.
rates as low as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.